You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen. Learn. Evolve. to the Napoleon Show, episode number four. How you doing, David? I'm doing great, Cameron. How about yourself? I'm great, thank you, mate. We left Napoleon in 1795, having broken the back of the Paris insurgency with his infamous whiff of grape shot. He was made commander of the Army of the Interior, the largest armed force in France at the time, with the rank of general of a division. And he changed his name from Bonaparte, the Italian, to Bonaparte, the French, and he was only 26 years of age. Well, it's it's, it's an amazing story, as as we've said over and over and over again, and our our listeners may be tired of hearing it, but you, you got to think about it. here. Here's a guy, 26 years old, you know, most educated people in, in in Australia or the UK or the US are. Or maybe in graduate school or something. Then, uh, and here he is, a, a a general of significant merit, a national hero. He saved the government really not once but twice, uh, and and made quite a name for himself. People wonder why why we are fascinated with Napoleon. It's just really hard to to find careers with this kind of uh, extraordinarily uh, uh, strong uh, start, and and it's almost without parallel. You have to look at people like Alexander the Great and 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 maybe maybe Caesar to to find people whose whose careers uh, were comparable and and even someone like Caesar. I mean, he was doing it in his fifties, what Napoleon was doing in his twenties. Mm. Or Bill Gates in a modern well, sense. That, absolutely, Bill Bill Gates in in a modern business sense, the same kind of thing. A young kid with with uh, a background that would not at all necessarily have, have, have led you to expect the, the things you got from him, and here he is uh, having done absolutely fabulous things. I speak as a as a Macintosh person, but nevertheless, I mean, you look at what Bill Gates has done, and, and, and imagine what he would have done if he'd have been uh, uh, in, in the military in the 19th century, and Napoleon might have had a, a real competitor. <laughs> That's right. All right, now, it's around about this time that Napoleon first connects up with uh, a woman called Marie-Joseph Rose Tasha de la Pagerie, but who history remembers as Josephine. She was 32, six years older than Napoleon, and had two children from her previous marriage. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Josephine? Well, Josephine's a, a fascinating uh, person, to say the very least, and and, and I wanted to, to sort of start off just a little bit by reminding our 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 listening audience that while we always think of Josephine as as Napoleon's first uh, and greatest love and 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 certainly I, I think he she was his greatest love there had been others Napoleon as a as a young dashing uh, lieutenant in the French military had was certainly attractive to two young ladies and he had had uh, a, a number of liaisons or attempted liaisons with such young ladies as Carolina Combier, 
uh, he had met a, a, a hooker in, in Paris, uh, of all things, and had had sort of uh, fallen for her and, and, and had some nice conversations, uh, presumably among other activities. Uh, the most famous of his earliest loves, of course, was uh, Desiree Clary. And, and she's uh, a, a fascinating person. Among other things, uh, he met her when his brother Joseph was interested in, 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 in dating her. Uh, but then when Napoleon sort of met Desiree and fell for Desiree, Joseph, ever the loyal if older brother, switched his affections to Julie, uh, Desiree's older sister. Uh, and uh, Desiree uh, and, and Napoleon became uh, quite the thing. And their relationship went off again and off again and on and off again. And Napoleon uh, left, left the area, went up to Paris, and and uh, they they had some letters back and forth, but eventually the thing really didn't uh, didn't pan out because to a large extent because of some the distance involved, uh, and, and then Desiree's family moves to uh, Genoa. Uh, eventually, Desiree ends up marrying General Jean Baptiste Bernadotte, who was one of Napoleon's marshals and an early supporter, but eventually turned on Napoleon. And, and was a traitor to Napoleon toward the end of his career. And Bernadotte and Desiree became the king and queen of Sweden. When you go to uh, Sweden, you see statues of King Carl XIV, uh, Carl XIV Johan, as they call it, and Queen Catherine. Uh, that's Desiree and, and Bernadotte. But, as you say, Napoleon's first and greatest real love, after Desiree anyway, uh, was Josephine. Now, it, there's a, a lot of ironies in Napoleon's career. One of them, of course, has always been that Napoleon was was not, strictly speaking, French. He was Corsican, which had only become a French uh, territory a year before he was born. Uh, so that's uh, one island of, of some importance to him. Another island of some importance was the Caribbean island of Martinique, Napoleon had never been, never was to Martinique, but in fact, uh, that's where Josephine was born. She was born on a plantation. Her father, uh, Joseph Gaspard Taché de Pagerie, owned a sugar plantation there with slaves and, you know, the whole works. I had the great privilege and pleasure of taking a cruise to, to Martinique uh, a number of years ago and and went to see the what the remains of the plantation. Uh, the, the main house itself is destroyed. The the kitchen is the only building that remains. It's a small museum to to Josephine and to Napoleon. And uh, they were kind enough to 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 recognize me and give me a nice tour and treated me very well. It's a beautiful place, uh, an idyllic setting. Uh, if 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 our listeners have not been to the Caribbean. Uh, they, they, they might want to consider going sometime, and if they do, they'll want to go to, uh, to Martinique. It's a, it's a beautiful island. Uh, however, there are some, some issues with that. They were slaveholders, of course, and, and slavery was a, a very big issue back in those days, and, and today there's a statue of, of Josephine in the town square, and the head has been removed. Uh, presumably by some of the local, uh, black population, whose uh, recollection of the joys of the sugar plantation days are perhaps less uh, are different than, than uh, Josephine's uh, descendants might, might have had. 
Uh, at any rate, uh, uh, she was born on June 23, 1763, given an education in the local convent. Uh, and she was married uh, to the at the age of 16 in 1779 to a 19-year-old Alexander de Beauharnais. Uh, a vicomte, very wealthy, very educated, young and dashing. I mean, this is a 19-year-old dandy uh, who loved to dance and loved the social life, both of the island uh, and of uh, Paris. And they had two children. I think you mentioned that she had two children by her this marriage. Uh, Eugène was born in 1781, Hortense in 1783. But... The marriage wasn't all that great. Uh, for one thing, this was a young dandy who could have his, his and I use the, the term dandy in a positive way here, young and dashing, wealthy beyond imagination. Uh, he could have any lady that he wanted to, and apparently he did. Uh, he, he, he wasn't particularly uh, taken to, to, to uh, Josephine, who wasn't exactly the, the, the most gorgeous of women and slightly on the plump side. And in 1783, he actually deserted uh, Josephine, and left Paris and returned to Martinique, uh, where he, he carried on uh, to one extent or another. Uh, he went to the United States. He took a mistress along with him. Uh, it's said that he fathered illegitimate children along the way and so on. Uh, Josephine's not amused when she finally figures all this out, in spite of the fact that it wasn't all that uncommon, of course, in in, in, in Europe and in the nobility in those days uh, was expected to have to have uh, flings here and there, but nevertheless, uh, they, uh, they got a, a separation and so on. She actually stayed in a convent for a while, which doesn't sound really exciting, but... but uh, uh, then she stayed in the Chateau de Fontainebleau, quite a different uh, place to a, a convent. Uh, and, and she also decided, well, to can play that game. And so she established a pattern, which we will see repeated again a little bit later, of having a string of affairs, uh, some with some, some pretty important uh, folks. So Josephine's an interesting character with a very interesting uh, background. In time, they, they reconcile a little bit. Uh, they're back in Paris together. Uh, she's developed uh, another habit. In addition to having lovers, she has developed the habit of becoming a spendthrift. Uh, my wife thinks that I have a great deal in common with Josephine <laughs> when it comes to this sort of thing. And, and we're buying things from the same period. The difference is that she was living in the period, and I'm buying them 200 years later. Uh, but she she uh, is always running them into debt. This is something that Napoleon will have to deal with uh, uh, later on, and uh, and, and so on. Uh, so so they've reconciled. They're living in the social life in Paris, and then along comes La Revolution Française, the French Revolution, and that ends up being something of a problem. Uh, Alexander, the husband again, Alexander de Beauharnais, is actually a revolutionary. He supports the revolution, but he's got a real drawback in those days. And you and our viewers all know the drawback, of course, is that he is a vicomte. He is a member 
of the nobility and then those days uh, being a member of the nobility is not a good thing. So uh, when the, in 1794, when the terror is, is well underway, uh, in March of 94, he is arrested and thrown into prison. Josephine, who knows a few people in power, uh, having uh, developed, shall we say, friendly relationships with some of them, uh, does what she can to get him out. Uh, and for her efforts, she gets tossed into jail uh, in April, a month later. Uh, and in those days, again, we, <laughs> you know, you, you don't go to jail at a waiting trial. You, you basically go to jail awaiting the guillotine because that's it's pretty much a one-way trip. It's very rare for someone to go to jail and somehow be exonerated and let out. So you 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 really know you're in trouble. The two of them uh, are, are together again, if you will, uh, in, in prison. Uh, it must have been an interesting relationship. There's talk of other affairs that she may or may not have had in the prison itself. At any rate, Alexander is executed in July of 94, 1794. And she was scheduled to be executed relatively soon herself. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, the, the story is that she was with, was, was within one day of being executed. I'm, I'm not totally sure that we, that we know that for certain. Uh, but the terror ends. Maximilian Robespierre and, and uh, Saint-Just and the rest of those people are themselves executed. The terror is over. And on the 6th of August in 1794, Josephine, without her husband now, of course, who is dead, has been or is released from prison. So it's a close call. It's a real, real tough situation. Josephine shows that she has the ability to keep her cool, do what has to be done, uh, and ultimately uh, to survive. And, and, and she does. And so she gets out of, out of prison, the uh, conciergerie in 1794, gets reunited with her children, and now she has to start over. She doesn't have a husband. An awful lot of the people who she knew well are no longer around or are perhaps uh, reluctant to uh, to show themselves. And so she looks around to see who she can lean on for support and who she can use for support. And she does have an old friend, Therese Tallien, who was a friend from the time that they were separated. But much more importantly, there's a man named Paul Barat. Paul Barat it was the ultimate survivor of the day. He was able to withstand all of the turmoil, always managed to seem to be on the right side, the winning side of whatever group was rising as opposed to the groups that were falling. And they had become friends just as he's now the, you know, arguably the most powerful man in France, certainly one of a handful of extremely powerful men. Uh, and so she ties in with him. And clearly this is to his advantage because he's got a, a, a rather uh, nice mistress. Uh, but uh, it's a great advantage to her because she now has a protector. 
They could help each other out very, very nicely. Josephine had some good political connections that uh, Paul Barat was able to use. Later on, Napoleon was able to use, and uh, she uh, she made use of all that. However, Paul Barat was also soon to discover that however she was as a lover, the thing that she was really, really good at was spending his money. And so we think Napoleon probably met her at Therese Talien's cottage, which was sort of uh, one of these places where there was lots of entertaining going on and, and Josephine used to hang out there. And uh, can we explain a little bit why we're calling her Josephine when her name was Rose? Well, I've never exactly fully understood that, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, Josephine had a, a very, very long name, uh, just like uh, a lot of people did in those days, and and he just decided uh, that he was going to uh, to call her Josephine, <laughs> and that that stuck. Uh, and uh, how she met him has also been a, an interesting uh, story. Uh, her daughter Hortense wrote in her memoirs a very touching. Tale, which I I think we should tell our, our our listeners, even though I'm not at all convinced that it's accurate. But the story that historians used to accept and was is certainly one of those myths that are associated with uh, with the Napoleonic legend uh, has to do with uh, the the brother, the the uh, Eugène uh, Hortense's uh, brother, who was. Uh, uh, in possession of her of their father's sword, <clears throat> excuse me, and wanted to keep the sword. After all, the father was dead, and this is one of those remembrances of, of him. And he was a young man who liked to have a sword anyway. And so he took the sword to the local uh, military headquarters, and none other but General Bonaparte himself was there. And looking at his maps as he usually would do and so forth. And here comes the kid uh, wanting to keep his sword. I, I should back up and say that that after uh, uh, the whiff of grape shot that, that uh, Napoleon was under orders to disarm the sections, to disarm Paris basically, and citizens were expected to turn their weapons in. And they were doing so to the various military uh, posts. Uh, and so Hortense uh, says, please, sir, may I keep my father's sword? Napoleon is quite taken with the young lad says, sure, of course you can, you know, presumably signs the paperwork or something, and off he goes. And the next day, uh, uh, Josephine is uh, said to have come to, to visit Napoleon uh, at his headquarters to thank him for uh, his, uh, his kindness to her son. Uh, and Napoleon sees Josephine and his... Little old heart goes pitter pitter pat, and he falls head over heels for for her, and off they go. Now, that's probably not an accurate story. Your comment that they met, uh, whether it was at the cottage, whether it was at any number of parties that Paul Barat would have hosted here, there, and everywhere, uh, I think it's pretty clear that they met socially in a way far less touching than, than that very famous uh, story. But we do understand that Napoleon was at a stage in his life where he would like to have a wife, and Josephine was at a stage in her life 
where some kind of stability would probably be a good idea. Paul Barat was at a stage in his life where he was getting tired of her spending and probably tired of, of other aspects of the relationship as well. And so all of this stuff sort of comes together uh, and, and uh, it works out, you know, really, really quite well for all three of them. She lied about her age, by the way. Also led him to believe that she had a lot more money. Well, if he watched what she bought, he probably figured she was wealthy, and of course it wasn't her money. Uh, and Napoleon, whose love life experience was not all that it could have been for a young man of his age, uh, probably was quite taken with her far more worldly approach to love. Uh, so it, it works out pretty well, and he's really... He's really hot. I mean, it's got to be said that Napoleon is is hit over heels, uh, not just in a romantic sense, but 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 in a very lusty sense as well. Uh, he he writes uh, he writes a letter. Let's see, I've got one here written in Paris in 1795. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, which may even be on the the day after their first uh, sexual encounter. Uh, so let me read this little part of it, if I may. I awake full of you. Your image and last evening's intoxication have left my senses no repose whatever. Sweet and incomparable Josephine, what a strange effect do you produce upon my heart? Are you vexed? Do I see you sad? Are you troubled? My soul is crushed with grief, and there is no repose for your lover. But is there any more when, abandoning myself to the profound emotion which masters me, I draw from your lips, from your heart, a flame which consumes me? Ah, it was last night. I really understood that your portrait was not you. <laughs> you are leaving at noon. I shall see you in three hours. Meanwhile, mi dulce amor, a thousand kisses, but do not give me any, for they burn my blood. Napoleon now was I, a great romantic, wasn't he? Oh, he absolutely was. I don't know if I wrote letters like that to my wife, she might never become my wife, but, but or maybe she would have. But, but uh, it's 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 wonderful, and and there's other examples. You know, I'm coming home, uh, Josephine. Don't bathe. You know, I, I want to. I want your 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 eau de naturel or or, or whatever. Uh, he was a romantic. He was lusty. He was he was taken with this woman. He was deeply in love. He knew this was the woman for him. There was only one little catch, and that of course was Josephine wasn't so sure that this was the man for her. In fact, she was embarrassed by a lot of this. She she liked what she had going with Barat, although Barat may have been very happy to see Napoleon come on the scene. Uh, she was involved in some business affairs and, and, and so on. Uh, but <clears throat> Josephine had to be a little careful. She was looking for security. Now, the good news is Napoleon's a, a young Dashing, apparently, you know, good lover, uh, 
war hero, our, our national hero, saved the government. The bad news is he didn't have a lot of money, and he didn't seem to be the greatest when it came to social graces. And Josephine was, you know, at the pretty high end of the social ladder. Uh, and, and if that wasn't bad enough, there was Napoleon's family. Now, we all talk about family relationships and, you know, the in-laws and the outlaws and all this kind of stuff. But Napoleon's family was virtually universal in their condemnation of Josephine and of that relationship. And they made, they made it very clear to Napoleon and frankly, I think they made it very clear to, to Josephine. I mean, here was a woman who was six years older than Napoleon. The truth had to finally come out. Uh, so she, he wasn't getting some sweet young thing. She was previously married, which in the Roman Catholic world is, is not necessarily great. Uh, she had two half-grown children, didn't have a lot of money. Her connections were suspicious at best from the, their standpoint. And Napoleon had all sorts of things going for him. Uh, he was young, he was dashing, he was a general, so he had a, a decent income. He had a, obviously a great military career uh, potentially in front of him. And, and Paris is full of beautiful young women, some of whom of some means, uh, who his family thought Napoleon would be better off uh, going for. And I'm not so sure that if you look at it that that's not true. I mean, who's who's to say if it's really true or not? Uh, but Napoleon uh, was saying not. He was interested in pursuing this and uh, uh, eventually... Uh, Napoleon and Josephine uh, decided to to get married. <coughs> it has to be said that Josephine's family was not particularly pleased with the uh, marriage. Hortense was opposed to it. Josephine's friends tended to be opposed to it. Uh, and uh, I, I suspect I, I suspect as, as others do that that uh, Josephine may have had an affair with General Hoche when, when they were in prison. And, uh, and she had to, at one point hopes that Hoche would leave his wife and marry her. Uh, that wasn't going to pan out. Uh, nevertheless, in time, they decided to get married. I think Josephine finally realized, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not likely to find anyone more hit over heels in love with me than I have with Napoleon. It's a gamble. But he is a, a, a general. Uh, he is a national hero. Uh, I think we can, we can do, uh, fairly well on this. And so they got married. Uh, eight o'clock in the evening, the 9th of March, 1796. And, and Napoleon gave a, a beautiful enamel medallion, uh, called, uh, to, they had engraved to destiny on it, which of course was, uh, uh, ironic as heck. Uh, Paul Barat, uh, perhaps to make sure that the wedding took place, uh, was on time, uh, serving as a witness. Uh, the other members of the wedding party, it was not a very big group, uh, were all there on time. They were only missing one person. And I think we all know who that person was, of course. Uh, again, you know, you don't like to be late to your own wedding. You know, get me to the church on time, as the old song goes, and so on. Uh, but in fact, uh, it was uh, it was a couple of hours or so before 
Napoleon finally showed up. In fact, the uh, the initial official who was going to marry him is he's gone. He says to heck with this. Uh, leaves uh, some underling to handle it. Napoleon is on the floor with some aides looking at his maps for his upcoming campaign in Italy, and typically lost track of time. Uh, and and you know the. Josephine lies by her age, claiming to be four years younger. Uh, Napoleon adds almost two years to his age to make them look to be around the same. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing was unusual. But, but here's the best story of all. Let me take a little drink here to refresh my throat a little bit. Let's face it. If we think about the day and evening of the wedding. We tolerate the the day to have the evening, and we all look forward to to wedding nights. At least that's the the image that we have of such things. And as it happens, this wedding night was not exactly normal either. Now it's also true, to be honest, that a lot of folks when they get married, there's so much going on during the day. The wedding night may not be all that the 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 uh, image uh, would have it be. Nevertheless, given their relationship, very physical relationship, uh, Napoleon and Josephine were no doubt expecting to, to frolic a bit under the sheets. But upon coming to bed, Napoleon made an awful discovery. He was expected to share the bed with another male. Now, this is not the kind of thing you want to discover. Happily, to a certain extent at least, it turns out the other male was a Fortuné, the, the Josephine's little dog, a little pug dog. Now, Napoleon had no use for pets. That's one of the few areas where Napoleon and I are extremely different. I love my, my uh, pets, particularly my cats, and I think that Napoleon would be horrified to know that I have a British short hair cat, but or a kitten, but uh, nevertheless, you can understand that you're about to get into bed for your wedding night with your lovely bride, and here's this little dog staring up at you, wondering just exactly who the heck you are and what you think you're doing there. Uh, Josephine apparently informs Napoleon that the dog is used to being in the bed, sleeping in the bed, and she saw no reason for that to change. Okay. Well, as I as I like to say, Napoleon nevertheless was determined to either claim his husbandly rights or perform his husbandly duties, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, but the dog, apparently not liking the competition any more than Napoleon, uh, at a shall we say an indelicate moment in in the matter, uh, chose to bite Napoleon. In the shin. Now, as I also like to say, if that had happened to me, that dog would be the former Fortuné. Uh, very, very quickly, the former Fortuné. Napoleon was more discreet than I was, however, and and let it go. Uh, <clears throat> but I suspect that that was the end of the uh, evening uh, festivities. So, you know, how would you like to be to be married? Uh, 
uh, go to your wedding night and have your new bride's dog bite you in the in in the shin. Uh, not a good start to the to to the relationship, to say the least. The other story that I like from the wedding night is, uh, as you say, Napoleon obviously turned up late, and uh, when he does finally arrive, the uh, registrar is asleep. Uh, beside the fire, Napoleon shakes him awake and says, "Come on, marry us quickly." <laughs> yes, classic Napoleon, isn't he? He's late, but it's everything has to happen fast once he's there. Well, well, that's that's that is it's absolutely classic Napoleon, uh, and 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 it's, as you say, it's it's another great story. But uh, you know, it's 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 just amazing when you look back at all that happened that that could have. Really scotched this uh, uh, relationship, and yet, for all of the all the problems, the, the family disagreements, the, the difference in age, the decided difference in passion, Napoleon far far more passionate than uh, than, than than Josephine was. Uh, it becomes one of the great love stories in, in, in Western civilization. It's, it's up there with Romeo and Juliet in, in, in some respects. Uh, and, and, and it may or may not deserve to be, but that's the, that's the way that, that, that people remember it. And it's also got to be said that Napoleon did everything he could to make that relationship work. And, and you start off with the kids. If there's any Two people who have got to be apprehensive about Napoleon. It's the two kids, the stepkids, because you know stepfathers are not always all that thrilled with you know the other guy's kids that are now his responsibility because the other guy in this case, of course, is dead. Uh, but Napoleon treats her kids as graciously and as kindly as you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, he offers to send his own young brother, Jerome, to go to school with Eugène. He visits their school. He tries to make them comfortable. Uh, and they end up loving him dearly. They end up being very, very loyal. I'll tell you, Eugène, who ends up on campaign and, and has some very important military and political roles uh, in Napoleon's career, Eugène is arguably Napoleon's most loyal supporter, not just in the family, but anywhere. Of all the people that, that surround Napoleon, Eugène was, I think, the most loyal. And, and also pretty competent, you know, did, did some good things. Uh, Hortense, if you read her memoirs, and her memoirs are not always completely trustworthy as, as to their accuracy, but, but, but they're loving memoirs, and, and, and I think Hortense also uh, ends up being very, very pleased uh, with with the relationship, and and later on, if we we won't necessarily get to it now, but uh, we'll we'll find that those two children team up to save that relationship when it's about ready to go on the rocks. And in fact, if you look at all of Napoleon's <coughs> inner circle, his his own family, his brothers and sisters. And uh, his his generals, his marshals, etc. You, outside of perhaps his mother, you really couldn't pick anybody who was more loyal to him over the rest of his life than Hortense and Eugene, as you say. Absolutely, absolutely, no no question about it. Uh, and and I think Napoleon always understood that too. 
I think that he realized that he had been blessed with those two kids, and 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 he cultivated them, and he and he treats them well. Uh, at the end, uh, in in 1815, before he goes down to uh, Rochefort and Ildex, and eventually surrenders to the British, uh, who, who's he with at the end? Well, he's there with Hortense at Malmaison for a while, and and reminiscing about about what it was like, and and about Josephine, and at the end of his career, he's He's remembering as he walks through the the uh, the halls of Malmaison, their their house in Paris. Uh, he's remembering what it was like, and, and he tells he he, he tells uh, Hortense, I, "I don't want to be alone here because you know Josephine is everywhere. She 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 just permeates the air, and 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 and, and it's a very sad and and emotional time. And this is so many years later, and another wife, and a major mistress later, and." And, and and a lot of water under the dam, and Josephine's no saint, as as we'll see. But and she but had never, passed away. Nevertheless, at this stage, we should say. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. At that point, she's dead. Like I say, the the spirit of Josephine fills the hallway. She she passed away the, a, a year earlier, uh, and, and of course that was devastating. When Napoleon's in exile on the island of Elba, and and he finds that Josephine's dead, he's he he goes into seclusion for several days. You know, he he can't, he can't speak to anyone. He doesn't really eat much. Uh, it, it's uh, the relationship is. Is really truly one of those very special relationships in history. But it, but it wasn't a happy relationship. I mean, it was an incredibly turbulent, volatile relationship. And I think, as you said to me during one of our first ever conversations, that uh, you can almost chart Napoleon's rise and fall through his relationship with Josephine. Once she's out of the picture, it all goes to hell in a handbasket for Napoleon in a lot of ways. Well, that's 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 exactly right, and and uh, and yet it's also after the episodes that we'll we'll deal with uh, when Napoleon comes back from from Egypt in '98. After then, I think it does settle into to uh, to a very very good relationship and and and, and somewhat less turbulent. Uh, and 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 in Napoleon for Dummies, I I give contradictory. Uh, advice. I say on the one hand, you know, I'm giving advice to, to Napoleon if he's around to listen to it. Uh, I say don't don't marry Josephine. You know, she wasn't going to be faithful to him. Uh, she she's engaged in military profiteering. Uh, she 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 does all this. She's a spendthrift, uh, a lot like me. Uh, and, and he could have done a whole lot better. So I say, you know, Napoleon, don't marry her. She she's not the woman for you. And yet. I also advise Napoleon not to divorce Josephine. I'm taking the the exact opposite tact because in time, I think Josephine became his talisman. I think he she became his good luck charm. She she was wonderful at wooing and, and not physically, but but at at at, at really impressing. Uh, the other rulers, with her charm and her grace and her her outgoing personality, uh, the the Russian Czar Alexander was particularly taken with her, uh, and and I think that was one of the reasons why he, he was willing to 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 try to work with Napoleon. In fact, it was at a party that that, that, that Josephine in 1814 uh, fell ill and 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 eventually died, and, and the Czar was there. And, and had his personal physician uh, looking after her. Uh, so she did, she did a lot of, 
of, of good things uh, for him. And the one thing that has to always be remembered, whatever else we see about the relationship, and that is that I don't think Napoleon ever stopped loving Josephine. Not to say that, that he didn't love Marie-Louise, his second wife, and certainly Marie Valeska, the, the, the famous Polish mistress who was in many ways, the, the closest, the most strongest competitor to Josephine for his, for his love, I think. But I think in his heart, he never ever really lost it for, uh, for Josephine. And, and so, you know, that, that's, that's part of what makes it such a fascinating story. Well, David, we've spent a lot more time talking about Josephine than I'd planned, so I think we uh, we should wrap up this episode, and we uh, we'll get on in the next episode. In episode five, we'll start talking about the army of Italy. Of course, about a week before Napoleon married Josephine, he was given the role of commander in chief of the army of France in Italy by Paul Barat. And some people believe that those two events may have been closely connected. <laughs> you think? You think? You think possibly? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think there's no question about it. It was it was a reward for taking Josephine off his hands, uh, but it was also a good reward uh, for France because uh, Paul Barat understood, as did the, the the other political leaders of the day, that that if anyone could take this 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 horrible situation uh, that was going on in Italy. Uh, and turn it around uh, that, that Napoleon might very well be it. Napoleon was the wunderkind. Remember that he was the wonderkind. He was the he was the guy who 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 had the Midas touch at that point. And uh, I think a lot of folks thought that if if anyone could do it, it would be him. And I apologize if I've rambled on too long about Josephine, but we talk a lot about the military and we talk a lot about the political. Uh, but there's a dimension to, to Napoleon's career and to Napoleon the man that we really, I don't think, want to overlook. And the story of Napoleon and Josephine is the story that an awful lot of people out there know about Napoleon. You know, they, they don't know that much about him being emperor. He was a general, but what did he do? But they know the love story of Napoleon and Josephine. There was a miniseries made of it with Armand Arsante as, as uh, Napoleon a number of years ago that was quite popular. And, and I just think it's important that, that our listeners get a chance to, uh, to hear a little bit uh, of the inside story on that as well. And, of course, as we go uh, through the rest of the episodes, we'll talk about what's happening with their relationship and how it plays out and, and how it, it, it inspires some of his military activities, good, bad, and otherwise. But until oh, then, my friend, I think we should uh, wrap this episode up, and uh, I will talk to you next time when we'll talk about the Army of Italy. Well, Cameron, as always, it's it's a pleasure, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed this episode, and, and like you, I look forward to the next one. Real power can't be given. It must be taken.